This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. Hey everyone, I'm Emma Choi and welcome to Everyone and Their Mom, a weekly show from Wait Wait Don't Tell Me. This week, we're talking about graduation with Wait Wait panelist, comedian, and someone whose fan base should really call themselves the Kondabooboos. It's Hari Kondabolu. Hi, Hari. Hey, how are you, Emma? Hari, it's graduation season, right? So it's the beautiful time of year where you get to find out how many of your high school bullies are going to nursing school. And the answer is all of them, Hari. All of them are going to nursing school. Did you have a high school bully that went to nursing school, Emma? So many of them, Hari. That's so strange. You know what? Nursing school or not, the U.S. has a major cap and gown shortage. And of course, you know, supply supply chain issues are to blame. Shipments are being held up at every stage of the process. And high schools and universities all over America are being affected. And especially regional theater productions of High School Musical 3, you know, which, come on, America, we need that last scene for closure. (laughs) And personally, I think they should ditch the cap and gown thing entirely and just make everyone wear white leggings and sport bras. You know, really humble them before celebrating them. I mean, why not break tradition? Like, why is that tradition so important that you have to wear a cap and gown? And I'm going to be honest, I don't think the cap and gown is that flattering for any body type. No, it's basically a muumuu and the hat is just, just, what the hell is that hat? The hat looks like someone played a prank on a graduate. They're like, put this board on your head, you'll look smart. My best friend really didn't want to wear a cap and gown. He's like, that's not how I want to graduate. That's not like how I want to look when I graduate. I'm like, what? And he just want he just wanted to wear his regular clothes. And part of me respected it, like, okay, you're bucking tradition. The other part of me is like, what stance are you taking, man? What is the point of this? What is this for? What is the point of you not? Is it just to not wear? And what do you mean? This is not how you. Who imagines graduation without a cap and gown? I know. You know what I personally love about graduation speeches is that like it's kind of like super equalizing because like essentially you're just asking someone really accomplished to do like a 20 minutes of stand up comedy in front of thousands of people. You know, like my school asked Mother Teresa to come like 10 years ago and she basically they were essentially making her do like a TED talk with a tight five inside of it. Was she alive 10 years ago? 20 years ago. I don't know what time is, Hari. Well, why would you tell Mother Teresa to do anything? It's like, you can't be like, all right, Mother Teresa, keep it at a, twi- a tight 20. All right, Malala, yeah. it's 15 minutes. That's I know <laughs> I know what your story is. I know what you went through, but this is Harvard. 15 minutes or someone else is getting you off the stage. Like, what do you, you can't tell oh, people anything. And after you is going to be three white men who've all committed terrible atrocities against the environment. Right, exactly. Now, go, go, go. <laughs> after it, it, it makes no sense. It's like, Malala, then uh, Henry Kissinger. Like, what? Can you inspire our listeners right now with a little commencement speech of our own? Sure. This goes out to, uh, to all the kids graduating high school and college who might be listening to this. I want yeah. you to know that the future looks bleak. And I know that between global warming, global pandemic, the possibility of nuclear war, it almost feels like what you've done here is a waste. That perhaps if you're graduating from college, that the money you've spent is absolutely worthless. And this could have been time spent preparing for the apocalypse to come. But I want you to know that there's, there's, there's something good that comes with the end. And that is 
if the world does end, you will not have to pay back your loans. Oh, Hari, I'm, I'm physically weeping right now. Oh, my God. I'm overtaken. That was amazing. <laughs> After hearing that speech that he made up on the spot, we wondered if Hari should go into speech writing full time. We wanted to talk to someone who does it for a living. So just to start off, will you introduce yourself to us? Sure. My name is Sarah DePerry, um, and I am a speechwriter, formerly for President Obama. Oh, yeah, that's that's crazy. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, this is maybe a weird question, but like when you're writing for Obama, do you like do an impression of him to like get into his voice? Like, How do you get into his voice? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's an element of that. So... The idea of getting someone's voice is not really about how they talk. It's actually about how they think. Mm. And so when I started working for President Obama, the way, you know, it's not like he's got a ton of time to hang out with his speechwriters, you know. Yeah. We're not like shooting the breeze with Barack Obama. So um, the way I kind of did that was that I sort of absorbed everything that he wrote said, you know, I was watching, you know, all the late night interviews with Jimmy Fallon. Like I was just inhabiting the mind and soul of Barack Obama, which is exactly as creepy as it sounds, but <laughs> sort of like the best way to do it. Yeah, that's so funny. Is, was there a part when he started dreaming as President Obama? Um, I, I wasn't, I didn't like have dreams that I was him, but I did every morning sort of wake up and look at the news and whatever the news was, I never thought, hmm, what does Sarah think about that? Uh-huh. I thought, what would Barack Obama think about that? Wow. I just sort of, you kind of like reorient your entire worldview uh-huh. to to be through his lens in a way. Yeah. It's like method speech writing. You're always <laughs> in character. I like that. Method speech writing. I right. love, yeah. I mean, speaking of his voice, he, I feel like Obama had a really mem- or has a really memorable way of talking. Like mm. he had a little bit of dad humor. Were you like responsible for that? Or like, were you like tuning in to like finding the right places to make a joke? We definitely did our best to insert dad jokes. I'm actually pretty good at dad jokes. And so, and like, I figured out kind of his, his, you know, his kind of brand of, of that particular humor. And he often just ad-libbed it, honestly. You know, he'd kind of read the room and see something funny and then just sort of react. Okay, improv. Yeah, that's great. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, this week we're talking a lot about graduation since it's graduation season and specifically about graduation speeches, which is why we wanted to talk to you. Um, have you ever written a graduation speech before? So many. Really? <laughs> they are not my favorite speech to write. Oh but my yes, gosh. I've read many. <laughs> why aren't they your favorite speech to write? Um... So, <laughs> so many reasons, so many reasons, Emma. <laughs> so um, one is that a commencement speech is a speech about anything. Yeah. There is no topic. There is no argument to be made. Speakers often make it a speech about everything, uh-huh. which then means it's a speech about nothing. And I think that's that's just a really hard place to be. And it's yeah. it can be hard to persuade speakers that they don't need to dole out every single piece of life advice they've ever received or every lesson that they derived from their climb up the, you know, tech startup ladder or whatever the hell they did. I think it's, it can be challenging to help people really stick to a plan. Yeah. It sounds like a lot of people, like when they don't know what they're doing, just fall into a bunch of cliches. Yes. I feel like a lot of speakers want to just say the thing that will make them sound the smartest or the funniest, 
what they need to do is say the thing that is the truest to them, mm-hmm. right? What's the one thing you can say to these people? So it sounds like your job is inspiring people to inspire others. Do you have to give yourself an inspiring speech to give other people inspiring advice for so they can give other people inspiring advice too? The circle of inspiration. Yeah. <laughs> um, I will say, I think that the whenever I'm working on a commencement speech, mm-hmm. um, the most inspiring sort of step in my work is to call up the university or college, whatever it is, and get information about students. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'll even talk to students. That is always a really great experience. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a college student. What would you like ask me if you were trying to get an like, idea of what I wanted? Yeah. So, um, it, you know, depending on what I was going to you for, it might just be sort of the basics. So, you know, tell me, you know, where do you guys hang out on a Saturday night? You know, Mm -hmm. who is the toughest professor? Who's the professor that everybody wants to get into that class? All the sort of the color that will inform, especially the the beginning of the speech so that when the speaker starts, they're, they're kind of, um, issuing what we call how to hells as in how the hell did he know that? Yeah. (laughs) Well, okay, so we have a draft of a commencement speech our friend Hari came up with. It's just off the dome, like it's kind of a first draft, but we were wondering if, since you're professional, can you give him some notes on it? (laughs) All right. Okay, cool. Um, I'll read it to you. So feel free to stop me if you like see something that you want to workshop or praise or something that needs work, okay? Okay, okay. I want you to know that the future looks bleak. And I know that between global warming, a global pandemic, and the possibility of nuclear war, it almost feels like what you've done here is a waste. How are we doing so far? And now let's just all go throw ourselves into the Pacific Ocean. So, (laughs) (laughs) Okay, you're not going to like this next part then, okay? (laughs) So the next part goes that perhaps if you're graduating from college, that the money you spent is absolutely worthless. And this could have been the time spent preparing for the apocalypse to come. What 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 do you think about that apocalypse reference? So I actually think that the, whatever comes next is actually important. So what comes next? Okay, so what comes next is, but I want you to know that there's something good that comes with the end. And that is, if the world does end, you will not have to pay back your loans. Where is he supposed to go next? He's got to go somewhere else. Some version of, but seriously, folks, like for all of this, mm-hmm. for all of these really hard challenges... There is no generation better positioned to try to fix this disaster than you all, than the one that's in college right now. And, you know, as President Obama always said, you're not encumbered by these old ideas. And so every generation before us has at least tried, and that is kind of your inheritance. You gotta pick up the baton and keep going. Support for NPR and the following message comes from Front Door. We all have that endless home to-do list. Repair the leaky dishwasher, fix the fridge, get the faucet to stop dripping. Get it all done with Front Door, the one-stop home repair and maintenance app. With Front Door, you can video chat with home repair experts, diagnose the problem faster, and cross off that to-do list. Now, when your home needs fixing or maintenance, just open the Front Door. Download and get unlimited video chats with an expert for just $25 a year. Last year, over 20,000 people joined the Body Electric study to change their sedentary, screen-filled lives. And guess what? We saw amazing effects. Now you can try NPR's Body Electric Challenge yourself. Listen to updated and new episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Graduation speeches are just like the, always the same generic idea, right? 
Have you ever done one before? Have you ever had to give one? I, I gave one at my high school, Townsend Harris High School in Flushing, <gasps> Queens. Oh. Yeah. And I uh, have been told that it was one of the best speeches they have ever had. Oh, okay, Bragg. That's awesome. Can you give us a taste? What did you say? Uh, God, what did I say? Um, I... I I said something about how usually they get people who are aspirational. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, I'm a stand-up comic. So if any of you turned <laughs> into this, your parents would see your life uh, as a complete failure. Can you introduce yourself to us? Yeah. So uh, I'm John or Jonathan Apana. Um, Queens born and raised. Let's go Mets. Uh, Hell Yeah. Uh, and you were in the graduating class of 2012 at Townsend Harris High School where Hari gave the commencement speech, right? Yeah, I was. Yeah, I had like a really great view because I was one of the band geeks. So I was like, I was in the pit. And it didn't really sink in, I guess, until I started hearing like all the speeches that I was like, oh, man, like high school's over. Yeah, I mean, here's our million dollar question. Do you remember anything from Hari's speech? Uh, yeah. So I remember when they told us that, first of all, this brown guy was going to be giving a speech, not a, not a doctor, not a banker, you know, not, not some politician, um, but a comedian. And I was like, oh, that's like really interesting. Okay. And then out walks this guy with like curly, shaggy hair, you know, glasses. You can imagine how weird this is. I graduated 12 years ago and I'm speaking to you right now. This is very bizarre. And I'll never forget, but like the, the gown that they gave him was clearly like either it was missized um, or they just kind of threw it on him before he, he ran in. It, it was like half off his shoulder. He looked, he just looked pretty disheveled. I, I don't know what was going on that morning. And then he gave this like really like endearing speech about how, you know, once you go off to college, you know, you kind of are as a person who lives in New York, who kind of grew up in New York. You know, you're like that diversity that everybody talks about. I couldn't know what it meant. And I kept hearing the word diversity when I went to school in Maine and how there would be a surge of diversity when I got to campus. And I realized I was the surge they were talking about. <laughs> like when you grow up and live here, you don't really realize that. Because, like, you know, everyone around you, you know, it's like the person down the block from, you is from another country. And you're like, oh, yeah. You know, that's just kind of like Queens. This is York. incredible. They don't have this. They have to figure this out. They have to take trainings. <laughs> this is ridiculous what we have <laughs> and something else that was really impactful was I remember him saying you know he's kind of going through like notable alum that went to Townsend Harris like uh, Jonas Salk uh, who was like responsible for like the polio vaccine you know um, Ira Gershwin who was like the brother um, you know the Gershwin brothers who wrote a lot of uh, musicals and then he was just like and then there's me I'm the most famous alum since, like, the 80s. You're a stand-up comedian is your most famous alum since 1984. <laughs> Something is wrong. I guess, you know, I, I took it as kind of a challenge, you know. Uh, but it was also kind of humbling and sweet. Most of you don't even know who I am. That is weird. Some of you are looking at me on your phones right now. Who is this? to me right now. I don't know, like, don't rest on the laurels of everybody who came before, you know, which meant a lot to me, and like I said, I still remember it. Yeah, that's so awesome. It sounds like his speech actually, like, inspired you. It did, yeah, it, it definitely did, just to know um, that, like, someone who 
was in my place, you know, whatever, like a decade mm-hmm. ago, was kind of having like the same thoughts, you know, like once I graduate, you know, who am I going to be? You know, who are other people going to see me as? You know, I was like one of those kids who had like an identity crisis as a teen. Uh, wasn't really connected to like my culture and my background. How I kind of grew out of that was from like Harry's speech, where it was like, you know, kind of like get connected to who you are, kind of understand how much that actually means. Um, and like how much that'll actually make you like feel better about yourself. I mean, a much more happier person when you know like who you are and where you came from. Thank you very much, Tons. I was glad to do that. This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history from Onyx Collective and Hulu. Directed by Prentice Penny, executive producer of Insecure, Black Twitter, A People's History, tells the story of how black voices found a new home online and blossomed into a force for change while laying down some hilarious tweets along the way. From the memes to the movements, see how this powerful community shapes culture, society, and politics. Black Twitter, A People's History, is now streaming on Hulu. Here's my favorite part of the podcast, the credits. This show was brought to you by Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. This episode was produced by Haley Fager, Zola Ray, and Nancy Seichow, with help from Lillian King, Lillian's mom, Sophie Hernandez Simeonidis, and the person who invented Trader Joe's mochi puffs. Thank you, person. Our supervising producer is Jennifer Mills, and our 2018 Fergie National Anthem is Mike Danforth. Once again, Lorna White, thank you for helping us with our sound. You're the best. Thank you to Jonathan Apana for your inspiring words about Hari's inspiring words. <laughs> and Sarah DePerry, thank you for being the most inspirational inspirer I have ever met. Oh my gosh, girl, no. Thank you to my co-host, comedian, wait, wait, panelist, and awesome dad, Hari Kondabolu. That is very specific, Emma. You can see Hari in person at the Den Theater in Chicago on June 23rd through 20th. 25th, and at the Cedar in Minneapolis on June 18th. Find tickets on his website at harikonabulu.com. That's H-A-R-I-K-O-N-D-A-B-O-L-U.com. I'm Emma Choi, and you can find me at Wait Wait NPR and putting down my scissors slowly as I talk myself out of getting bangs. Okay, I'm done. This is NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com slash NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com slash NPR. What does it mean to be Black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, you'll hear, it means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts.